0: Hello and welcome to the Rare Disease Cell and Gene Therapy Weekly Roundup. Every week, we at Partners for Access discuss the major news developments impacting the rare disease and cell and gene therapy industry and what they mean for you. Um, hello and welcome to the show. Uh, my name is Aparna Krishnan and uh, today I have two very special guests with me, Tom Shonese and Dave Frobel from Orsini Healthcare. Today we are going to talk a little bit about access to gene therapy from a specialty pharmacy perspective. And uh, in this discussion, we'll take a special look at uh, Zolgensma as a case study. But before we start, uh, let's hear a little bit more from uh, Dave. Dave, would you want to start off with an introduction about what Orsini is and uh, your uh, role at Orsini?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, Orsini Healthcare is a national specialty pharmacy licensed in all 50 states, and we are focused on rare and orphan diseases, including gene therapies. Uh, We've been uh, in this space for over 10 years and uh, my particular role is Senior Vice President of Trade Relations where I'm um, uh, responsible for our existing manufacturer customers including the manufacturer we're going to talk about today. Uh, I've been at Orsini Healthcare for over seven years and prior to that I had a long tenure with a large PBM-owned specialty pharmacy.
0: Excellent, welcome to the show. Tom,
2: Thanks. I'm glad to be here today, Aparna. Uh, I'm Tom Shaughnessy. I am Senior Vice President of Payer Services and Managed Care for Orsini Healthcare. And I've been with Orsini since August of 2019. Uh, So I'm relatively new to the team, but have uh, a great deal of experience in the Payer marketplace with prior specialty pharmacies and PBMs here in the United States and really been in the specialty space since the mid-90s.
0: Thank you both. So let's just dive in. Let's start with a little bit about your association with Avexis, Zolgensma's manufacturer. How did it start and what was the key criteria when they, they were looking at access to Zolgensma through the special pharmacy route?
1: Let me answer that question. But before I do, let me give our audience, our listeners, some background a little bit on Zolgensma. And spinal muscular atrophy, because I believe that will help uh, understand kind of the process we went through. Zolgensma is a gene therapy that corrects the underlying defective gene in a disease called spinal muscular atrophy, which is a rare and orphan disease. This particular gene therapy was brought to market by Avexis and then was acquired by uh, Novartis after launch. Uh, This spinal muscular atrophy, sometimes also known as SMA, is caused by a defective gene that uh, is needed for motor neurons to work, meaning your muscles. And when there's not enough of this protein around that's made by this gene, the motor cells weaken and eventually die. And what has happened prior to any treatment being uh, around without treatment, most of the infants born with the most severe form of this disease died before the age of two. Uh, Once um, a, a child is diagnosed, there is always a race to get treatment to them just as soon as possible because as they get muscle damage or neuronal damage, it may not be reversible even with therapy. Uh, literally, uh, time is neurons, is something borrowed from a meaning there is really important to uh, get treatment to the patients as fast as possible. Unfortunately, payers and the FDA label have limited the use of Lgensma to children two years of age and under. so this can be really a dramatic situation if you're a parent who uh, was you know had a child who was diagnosed and it's 30 days before the child's second birthday which, does happen and has happened. In fact, we've infused patients uh, up until the day before their second birthday just to get treatment for them. Luckily, uh, 23 states have added this particular genetic testing to newborn screening, which gives the diagnosis right after birth and gives us Uh, plenty of time to get treatment to those infants prior to um, this damage accumulating. However, you know, again, there's a whole bunch of other states where, you know, patients may be diagnosed later. So this is not your typical specialty pharmacy chronic disease. So with that backdrop, let me give you a little bit of insight as to uh, why Avexis did the process they did. It was a long process. It took probably at least a year and a half the manufacturer really wanted to get to know Orsini, who we were, what our abilities were, were we committed to this you know, level of urgency that was needed to get treatment to these patients. This was done by having some visits and calls. Some of these were informal, some were very formal. And then this kind of culminated with a very detailed RFP process and uh, inspections actually before even Mm. as part of the RFP process an inspection by a third-party auditor to just review our systems and our quality systems. So some of the key criteria that they were looking at really relates to what I was talking about with urgency to get treatment to these infants. They wanted to uh, understand our experience, ability, and commitment to expedite referrals to the system just because of this level of urgency. They also wanted to understand our flexibility. What I mean by that is because uh, the, the this is a frozen drug, we needed to be able to get product, you know, obviously sent from our facility sometimes um, uh, on a Friday, a Saturday, or a Sunday. So we need to be be willing to have pharmacists available weekends, evenings, and holidays to accommodate these deliveries to the infusion site so the patient could get the infusion the next day. Uh, They also wanted to understand our ability to work with ultra cold chain um, storage. And what I mean by that is I'm talking about minus 80 degrees centigrade, very different, uh, complicated logistics in terms of working with drugs that need to be stored at that. In fact, we are only allowed to have the product out of that type of storage for a very short period of time, and we actually time it while we're mm. putting uh, labels on. So everything that we do in the pharmacy is a little bit different when you're working with ultra cold chain uh, storage mm. product. They also wanted to understand, you know, do we have any experience with these centers of excellence, a lot of the, mostly academic medical centers that who would be receiving and administering the product? Right now, this gene therapy isn't widely administered across all hospitals in the U.S. It's mostly at these academic teaching hospitals where there are pediatric neurologists that can supervise the infusion. So they wanted to understand what's our experience working with them. And actually we have a significant experience working with them from some of our other uh, rare and orphan disease therapies, uh, Duchenne muscular dystrophy being one of them. They wanna know what other products we did specifically in the neurology area and working uh, uh, with pediatric neurologists or working with children's hospitals. And the last thing they wanted to look at was really the breadth of contracting we had on the medical benefit side. Uh, Really two aspects, you know, did we have medical benefit contracts in place? And number two, what was our relationship with the payers and our ability to contact them and work uh, uh, as patients required gene therapy to get, get contracted for this gene therapy?
0: Tom, so, would you want to add to it?
2: Uh, absolutely. I think that I think one just to get an understanding of the U.S. marketplace for you know, your non-U.S. listeners out there. You know, the United States uh, has a health a health insurance uh, market that's composed of both commercial insurance that's uh, typically uh, employer based insurance uh, that you get a, through your job. And then uh, there's also government payers, both uh, state Medicaid programs as well as Medicare and then also federal uh, programs such as Department of Defense and uh, TRICARE and, and, and those kinds of payers. So those would be considered government payers as well. Um, so it's a, it's a real mix of, of payers. So we have to be able to maneuver and have relationships, you know, at all levels within those uh, that mix of health plans and payers. So um, that gives you a little background on the breadth of the payer marketplace. So Orsini Healthcare, being niched into the rare disease uh, and gene therapy space, uh, has the advantage of uh, being able to talk to these ther- to these um, health plans in a more educated way around these rare diseases. The mix that we're seeing with Zolgensma in gene therapy, uh, the way the, the network that was created by Avexis, you know, stands today is there are two specialty pharmacies that have access to Zolgensma. And then there's also a direct to hospital distributor. So, so that kind of sets up the, the way that the whole that the drug is distributed in the United States. Uh, It's either through an SP or through the wholesaler. What we're seeing as uh, a trend within the marketplace is hospitals are wanting to take advantage of being able to provide this therapy themselves. So they will purchase direct from the wholesaler and that's called a buy and bill scenario. And there are certain advantages to that for the hospitals through a program called 340B, as in boy, uh, here in the United States, that a uh, covered entity, which uh, hospitals are known as, can take advantage of uh, the federal program, the 340B federal program, and the pricing that uh, that they can get uh, on the drug, and there's a margin that, that they can take advantage of and, and profit from. There is, you know, and this helps them to, uh, support programs within their hospitals for under uh, underserved populations. Um, it helps them to develop their uh, neurology departments uh, to some extent uh, as well, but it helps fund, you know, very necessary things that go on at those hospitals. Um, the other piece is what we call the AOB piece, assignment of benefit. Uh, and that's really what Dave was talking about. Uh, the medical benefit, or in some cases, even the pharmacy benefit that we are uh, billing through. So um, right now, we're seeing a mix of about 70% commercial business through the specialty pharmacy conduit to the patients, and then 30% under state Medicaid programs. Early on, I think Avexis really did not feel that state Medicaid programs would be very involved in paying for this therapy, but they've actually been, the states have really stepped up and taken on the payment uh, for these, I think, really in some ways spreading the risk, you know, mm-hmm. the financial risk for the therapies. I think the, another trend that we've seen within the, payer, within the payer mix is kind of a risk shifting. Also, we've seen this in several states ourselves in Michigan, Hawaii, and Florida, where are actually a a patient is or their the member is insured through a commercial insurance plan, but that a commercial insurance plan has been able to get the state Medicaid program to pay for that therapy uh, which is it 's kind of unique, and I think it 's really a state by state arrangement uh, that 's made but it 's an interesting trend that we've we 've seen uh, in general, and I think just kind of v- revisiting that. ALB versus buy and bill scenario that I, that I spoke to earlier, we've been seeing a greater movement to the buy and bill uh, by the facilities uh, as the choice um, for the, for the therapy. When you have a $2.1 million therapy, there is um, a lot to be, uh, there's a bit of profit to be made and, and some funding that can be had by the, by the hospitals. And I, think that that is part of what's driving um, this movement. Um, you know. But we still have a uh, significant amount of business that goes through the specialty pharmacy and through us. Part of what drives that is the fact that we can turn these uh, referrals around very, very quickly due to the fact that we have excellent relationships with our payer partners. Uh, we're turning from the time we get a referral in-house the time it's shipped out the door to the facility uh, is typically three days uh, at this point in time. And as Dave said earlier, we're working, you know, our people in our payer contracting area are working on the weekends. We're working the physicians to gather all the appropriate prior authorization information and so forth, uh, get these therapies infused uh, in the the time that the physician wants it.
0: Excellent. So, Moving forward, just wanted to get a sense from both of you about, given that the whole evaluation process was significant, long, as you mentioned, and the access challenges from then on. What were the key takeaways from this whole exercise? What was most lessons learned from the whole exercise?
1: Well, I would say a couple of the lessons learned is this can be, we actually talk to each of the families prior to um, sending the product out. And that's, uh, you know, been really impactful to really understand what these families are going through and their urgency to get treatment for their child. It's hard for them at times to understand why is there so much uh, red tape trying to get payment. And, and I think uh, what's nice about it is usually at the point we're calling them, we're confirming we've received coverage and we're confirming the date. So I think uh, while a lot of manufacturers talk about the level of urgency Uh, I have seen um, this particular manufacturer being very involved in all aspects of making sure the child gets treatment, including, you know, making sure that we work things out with the site. I think the other thing that's a little bit different is uh, we have been required to uh, really work with the pharmacy departments at all these institutions, which is not something normally a specialty pharmacy would be doing. Normally we'd be sending product directly to a patient. So we've had several uh, good relationships we've had to set up to facilitate sending this product because you can't just send it to FedEx where it goes to the loading dock. We have uh, very special logistics that have to send it to a specific person in the, in the pharmacy at that institution so that we know that it gets on to uh, where the infusion is going.
0: Tom.
2: Well, I think from really a pair perspective. And, and, and uh, I'll go back to what Dave said. I think we have to always be cognizant of what these families um, are going through. And, and this particular spinal muscular atrophy is, you know, genetic condition that is familial. I mean, it runs in, it runs in families. So we've had the experience where we've actually had, you know, a single family had more that's had more than one infusion of Zolgensma at this point um, and uh, and I think you know you know just kind of going back to this buy and bill trend versus what I say is as AOB you know where we would bill the uh, payer we've been actually experiencing situations where we've received a referral from the payers. Uh, from the insurance company directly to us uh, or through the hub uh, directed to us, and the institutions have been trying to pull the the referral back you know and and do it go through the buy and bill process, uh, which is kind of makes things very difficult, I think one for the family, but I also think that it um, kind of speaks a little bit to the competitive nature of the insurance industry and healthcare in, in general in the United States. Uh, it's not like having a single-payer system. So I think that's maybe a, a learning that we've seen. And I don't think that that's going to go away. I think in gene therapy in general, these are, are going to always be, in our lifetime, they're always going to be very expensive products. Uh, and there will be a you know, a profit motive. Uh, involved in it here in the United States, unless some other model comes comes forward. Uh, I think the other thing that, uh, that, you know, makes Orsini really attractive, and I think that one of the learnings too, is educating payers and educating the physicians, the providers, on the process that goes on in the background, um, as well as the family. Uh, Dave was saying they don't understand quite often why you know, why there's so much red tape and so forth. And, you know, when you have a $2 million product, there's a, a lot of authorization criteria that the insurance companies put, put forward in order to make sure that the therapy is being appropriately prescribed and that it's administered pro- appropriately in an appropriate setting. So I think that's all good. Um, but I also think that educating the families on this kind of upfront Uh, is important and that we take part in that as well as the manufacturer. And then also uh, I think working very proactively with the provider, with the doctor's office and their staff uh, in that. Uh, I think those are some of the key learnings that I've found uh, that we can apply to gene therapy.
0: Many thanks Tom and Dave for giving us that insight. We will be speaking to Orsini over the next couple of months about patient perspective as well as their engagement at the National Association of Specialty Pharmacies. And that's it for this week. For more news and analysis, do visit our website www.partnersforaccess.com. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts and don't forget to leave a review. We welcome your feedback.